Did you know that our family has recently welcomed, our, our church family has recently welcomed two more babies into the world? So we've had a lot of babies born in like the six, last six months. You guys are, you're killing it. You're having babies. It's awesome. But we've got two brand new ones. And so I don't know if you've met, probably not because you've been quarantined somewhere. Mr. Parker Campbell. Yeah, dude is a whopping one month old, maybe a little bit older today. And uh, Mr. Zeke Collins. Dude is, as of yesterday, just turned two weeks old. That's new. That is super new. I mean, so young. Almost everything that you own is older than both of these two guys' lives combined. And when I think about infants, newborn babies, I, just, I, I marvel at how dependent they are on everybody for everything. These guys can do nothing on their own. Parents, am I right? At the very beginning, it's always need this, need that. They can't feed themselves. They can't dress themselves. They can't do anything. They can't decide what we're going to watch on TV and argue over the remote control. There's nothing these guys can do. And so um, these, these, when they're super new, like babies, when they're super new, like they can hardly stay awake for more than a couple hours at a time. Isn't that crazy? And so as infants, all of us, we need help. We need help. And the truth is we don't really outgrow that. Uh, as we get older, sure, we master most of life, but we still, we need help with a lot of things. How many times have you called somebody for advice when maybe uh, your car wasn't working and you just needed some advice on what to do or who to call or where to go? How many, have, have you ever needed to move? You need to go somewhere, you're moving from one house to another. What do you do? You call a friend or a bunch of friends. In fact, that's one of the number one reasons to have good friendships, right? Because what if I need to move? Can I make a quick public service announcement too? Number one, if you still have one of those big TVs that takes more than four people to carry, you need to let that thing go, okay? Because you will lose your friends over that. Secondly, if you have a piano, every friend gets one piano pass, okay? That's the rule. After that, they don't move your piano anymore. You gotta get new friends. That's just the way pianos work. Uh, but you, know, you need help. You need help with things. And it's important to reach out. I want to kick off today's message talking about help and, and dependency with this thought. Some things were never meant to be done alone. Some things, really important things, in fact, are impossible to do by yourself. In the most important parts of our lives, we need someone to come alongside and give us a hand. And, and there's a word for that. And it's actually our word for the day. Today's word is... Helper, helper. I believe that God has something for each one of us that makes it possible to do impossible things. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's not a gimmick. It's not a temporary assistance from God. It's something that he, he gives us and we get to keep. It's not magic. It's not a fad. It is a powerful and eternally lasting presence in our lives. And it's really what we're talking about today. And we're gonna call that presence for now the helper. Um, so we're going to be keeping on in this teaching series to the book of Acts. So grab your Bible. If you've got a Bible, go to Acts. This series is called When God Sparks a Movement. And uh, flip over to the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament of your Bible. It's an incredible book about how the church began, how the message of Jesus spreads around the world. And uh, it's where we're going to be for uh, a total of eight weeks. So we've got seven more weeks counting today. And, and in Acts chapter one, what we saw was Jesus ascending back to heaven. This was last week. And he told his followers last week's word. Do you remember last week? A little pop quiz for you. You can talk at your TV, by the way. This is the closest I get to being Alex Trebek. Okay, so just talk at me. What was last week's word? Yeah, wait. 
If you didn't know that, it's okay. Now you know. Wait. So Jesus is sitting there with them in chapter one. He says, uh, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so last week's word was wait, but what were they waiting for? They were waiting for a helper. He told them to wait, so they did. Um, now, here's the thing. That wasn't all that Jesus told them that day. We see in Acts chapter one, we saw it last week, verse eight. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the world, ends of the earth. But in another place uh, in the book of Matthew, we see that he also said this. So this is Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives them this thing. He's like, I want you to go and tell the world about me. Talk about what I did and what I said and how to live in light of that. And that's a pretty cool message, but here's the deal. What the apostles were left with and what they were sent back as they were waiting was a huge mission. Okay, how in the world do you tell the whole world about anything? I think about that. That is a huge mission. This is before radio. This is before television. This is before mass mailers and billboards and email. There's no Facebook. There's no social media. How are you going to do that? It must have seemed impossible. You remember the old TV shows or the old movies, you know, the Mission Impossible thing? And I'm just picturing like the disciples with sunglasses on and they're riding motorcycles. You know, they're behind Tom Cruise chilling and like Peter's doing a wheelie and John's got his beard blowing in the wind. Like this, and you get the theme song. Dun, 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 dun. It, there's this impossible, like unfathomable, unfathomable thing they've got to do. How do we tell the world about anything? Uh, what Jesus was asking was a group of uneducated, unknown people from the backwoods of Galilee to make a huge impact on a world that they really didn't have any access to. And I want to think of all the reasons that this might have seemed impossible. In fact, maybe you can relate with this. When you think about the notion of trying to make an impact on the world, you think this is impossible. I mean, at the time, there were roughly 200 million people on planet Earth. We've grown a bit since then, uh, but this is the first century. It's pretty intimidating. 200 million people. There were huge geographical barriers. There were language barriers. Uh, not only that, but assuming they did make it to the ends of the earth, like, how am I going to get their attention? And like, how am I going to have the credibility so that whatever I say, they actually listen to? Jesus asked them to do something that seemed impossible. But Jesus had also already shown them that he was capable of doing what other people thought was impossible. I mean, he did... Just a few weeks ago, Jesus had been dead. Yeah, and now he's not. So he's speaking from a place of authority here. Like miracles by their very nature are pretty impossible. And if you can imagine how a miracle could happen, then like it's probably not much of a miracle. So as Jesus is telling them this, he's like, listen, I know I'm calling you to do something pretty hard. I know I'm calling you to do something that might seem impossible, but I've given you something that's gonna make 
it possible. They might have thought about a teaching that Matthew, uh, that we read about in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, where Jesus was teaching. And this is a great kind of memory verse, maybe something that can encourage you sometimes. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And he was talking about something a little different there, different context, but still the truth remains. Notice Jesus didn't say it would be easy. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. I also want you to tell the world, beginning where you are, spreading to the ends of the earth, and I will be with you. So it's here that we jump into Acts chapter 2. So hopefully you're already there. God shows up. He's going to make this mission impossible, possible for them. So we jump into Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, I don't want to rush past this moment because, I mean, take it in. Can you imagine this scene? It's wild. Go back and read through it again. I've read this story so many times and I honestly can't picture clearly in my mind what this might have looked like, but... Let's just flesh this out. First of all, it's the day of Pentecost, okay? So if you look back, it says that the day of Pentecost had come. This is a major Jewish holiday. In those days, Jews from all over the world would kind of make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. There's a history to it. Basically, it's 50 days after after Passover. Uh, So the city of Jerusalem is just busting at the seams without a towners. It's a big deal. It's a big holiday, big celebration. And guess who else was in Jerusalem during Passover? Sorry, during Pentecost, the disciples. Because Jesus had told them, go there and wait for the gift that I'm going to give to you. Uh, Then it says, a sound like a violent wind comes and something like tongues of fire floating over their head. All right, this is our picture. Not only that, the disciples disciples start doing something incredible. They start speaking in languages that they didn't already know before. It says in verse five, now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, this is like me, like, I don't know. I I love Chinese food, okay? So I go to a local Chinese restaurant, family owned. You got the whole family in the back. And I don't know Mandarin, it's a language, Chinese language. I don't know Mandarin, but let's say the whole family back behind the counter, they're talking to each other in Mandarin and they're talking and I'm ordering. And and what if one day I'm standing there and I'm ordering and suddenly the lady hearing me order my my general so chicken with like pork fried rice suddenly begins hearing me in her own language. Now I've never studied the language, but by the power of God, I just begin to speak it. How crazy would that be? And she'd be very confused by that because uh, maybe I've been there before. And she's like, I didn't know you spoke so, so well, so eloquently. And they were able to actually preach this word. Now that's, what, that's what's happening here. I mean, kind of like, like they're not ordering egg rolls or anything, but like the message that they're sharing is happening in a language that the people had never, uh, that they had never spoken before. The crowd is stunned. Look at verse seven, okay? It says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Remember, people have come from all over the world to celebrate 
Pentecost. And so, so check out this list. Okay, so I'm going to get a map here on the screen. And just look at this. As I read this, you can see the map unfold. It says in verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. I mean, I mean, look at that map. Look at all those places. Then it says in the second half of verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Bizarre, crazy moment. These, these folks are just on vacation. They've come to, you know, the holy city and they're seeing this amazing thing. So, wow. So like 15 language groups are, are hearing these Jesus followers not only speaking about God, but in their own language. I, I've tried to picture this. And like I said before, if, if it was just so easy to imagine, it wouldn't have been miraculous. But this is something that just, it defies possibility. And when God puts himself in the mix, things happen that seem impossible, that he makes possible. And so here's the thing. If you're like me, maybe you're a little skeptical of like tall tales and big stories. And, and if that's you today, guess what? You're in good company. Uh, verse 13 says that some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Like, first of all, how much wine does one need to consume to suddenly speak Egyptian? That's what I would like to know because I might try that amount of wine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but so they're, they're, they're trying to make, they're trying to understand like, how is this even possible? Maybe they're drunk. Peter in verse 14 stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Notice he has everyone's attention now because of this miracle that's just happened. And in verse, uh, the second half of verse 14, he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter's got jokes. Verse 16. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So Peter gets up and says, listen, there is a great explanation for all of this. In fact, your very well-respected prophet Joel, they would have all known who Joel was. He actually foretold this. Joel wrote about this hundreds of years before it happened. Uh, and you can check it out in, in Joel chapter two. I recommend you study the book more. You just don't read it out of context. But, uh, and he's like, look, there it is. You know the verse. So in verse 22, he keeps clarifying, and this is key for us today, so, so don't miss it. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. He's like, he's saying, you remember that? I mean, it was only 50 days ago. Surely you remember this Jesus guy and the big stir he caused in this very city. And then verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then we skip ahead to verse 32. He said, God has raised this Jesus to life. 
and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. By this time, thousands of people had gathered around this spectacle. And, and though many of them were out-of-towners, a lot of them were locals. And many of these people had witnessed some of Jesus's miracles and they'd heard his teachings and they were there when Governor Pontius Pilate asked the crowd what should be done with Jesus. And some of the people standing right here in this crowd were some of the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. And they saw him paraded down the street. The rumors that Jesus had risen from the dead were still fresh on the lips of some of these people because Jesus had appeared to, we hear, over 500 people. Some of those 500 may have been in this crowd. And so Peter's like, you know that guy? That's the guy we're coming from. And Peter's acting as the mouthpiece of the disciples. He said, you, crowd, with the help of wicked men, you put Jesus to death. But it's by the Spirit of God that today you're witnessing these amazing things. That's a scene right there. And verse 36 wraps up his speech. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, he just keeps rubbing that in, both Lord and Messiah. I imagine there was a deafening silence in the crowd just after that sentence. As in the crowd, the presence of God and his Holy Spirit sit there among them. And then there's a moment where the crowd wants to interact back. And so I guess it was one person, I don't know if it was the whole crowd, it says in verse 37, that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, I always imagine like one guy on the front row, brothers, what shall we do? You know that feeling when you realize something really bad has happened or you've done something really wrong and you're just like, what do I do? They see the truth in what Peter's saying and they want to respond. Um, so let's pause here. I want to imagine for a second that we hit the, the rewind button on this scenario. Peter's just given this killer sermon. The Holy Spirit's there, tongues of fire, wind, all this stuff. But let's rewind. Okay, let's go back to this morning, okay? It, 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 the disciples are back at whatever house they were waiting at. It's 7 a.m., okay? And they're sitting around the table. They're having their Cheerios or their Frosted Flakes or whatever it is that they're eating for breakfast. And they've been maybe uh, excited because it's Pentecost and they got maybe family from out of town coming in. Like, yeah, this is great. But maybe a little bit frustrated because Jesus told us to come and wait and we've been waiting and how long are we gonna have to wait and when is this gonna be over? And contemplating what it meant to carry out this huge mission that Jesus sends them on. Go tell the whole world about me. And they're like, man, and they're thinking. And maybe, maybe it was, I don't know, John, and he's sitting there and he's got his Cheerios. And he's, you know, Jesus said to take his message all over the world. Guys, how are we gonna do that? Like, where do we even begin? There's just so many barriers. There's geographic barriers. There's language barriers. There's financial barriers. There's political barriers. And even if we got there, how are we gonna get them to listen to us? How are we even gonna get their attention? And how will they know they can believe us? It just seems impossible. It's amazing how much has changed since breakfast. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's the story of Acts 
And, and when it comes to completing his most important mission, God knows that if we're gonna get his work on earth done, he is going to have to step in and help us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Comes into our lives as, here's our word, a helper. A helper. The Bible uses several great words to describe the Holy Spirit. These are great words. I've done teaching on a lot of them. He calls, uh, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit a counselor, calls him advisor, guide, tutor, or teacher, comforter. And so our, our memory word for today could be uh, a lot of different words. Um, but I've chosen the word helper because of one of my favorite passages about the Holy Spirit from the book of John. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking and he says, if you love me, keep my commands. By the way, that's a fantastic verse of the Bible. If you love me, keep my commands. But then he says in verse 16, and, if, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And so for me, this word helper is huge. Understanding what the Holy Spirit's role in our life is. And then he says in verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. He's talking about God's Holy Spirit, the advocate, our helper. And we're not using the word helper like when a preschooler wants to help you cook something, you know, like pizza sauce everywhere. Like that's not what we're talking about when we say helper. We're talking about helper like when your car's broken down and you call your cousin Vinny and you're like, hey, Vinny, hey, come work in my car. And Vinny's like a master mechanic and he comes over and he's like, yeah, I'll help you as long as you'll stand there and hold the flashlight for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause Vinny's the expert. He does all the heavy work lifting as long as we're willing to just stick around and, and be there. And that's what God is offering. The Holy Spirit is there to do what we cannot do. He wants our skin in the game and he wants to know that we're in on this. But he's there to carry the weight that we can't carry. And so here in Acts chapter two, he makes a task that seemed completely impossible, a complete reality. And so we've rewound, okay. And so God is listening to them at breakfast and he's like, okay, all right. What do you, what do you mean impossible? This is easy for me, okay? Okay, how will we get their attention? I don't know. How about a loud sound like the wind? It's just gonna get everyone's attention. Boom, there you go, cue Holy Spirit, do that. Oh, you think there's language barriers? Okay, let's see. How about we make it so that whatever you say, other people can hear in their own home language? Boom, Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, you're worried about geographic barriers? Okay, how about this? How about we just pick a day where people from all over the world happen to already be here? And we'll let them hear your message and then they can take the message home with them. You know what's really cool? There are churches established and bodies of believers established uh, that when the apostles, which if you read through the rest of the book of Acts, they're traveling mostly around the Mediterranean Sea and up towards Rome. But there are like little communities of Christ followers already in some of these places before some of the disciples even get there. You know how they got there? Because some of those people were at this thing that day. They saw the miraculous stuff and they took it home with them. You wanna know how they will know that they can believe you? How about I show them a miracle in their very presence? Boom, Holy Spirit, helper. And one by one, he tears down every single one of the barriers that made this huge task seem so impossible. And now it's totally possible. 
Let's, let's finish the story. Okay, uh, Peter uh, preaches and the people say, what should we do? Like we want to respond. Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38 is one of the first times anyone, and the first one we see in scripture, any, the first time someone is invited uh, to become a Christian. And uh, if you wondered how to become a Christian yourself, well, here it is. I, I could not possibly put it any simpler than this next couple of verses. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There he is, the helper. The thing that the disciples had gone back to wait on and now it's available to anyone who will simply just turn their hearts back to God. And then if you fast forward to verse 41, it said, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a good day at church. I'm gonna tell you right there. And that's the story of Acts chapter two, the helper and how God showed up to make the impossible possible. But as we wrap up today, I want you to know this invitation is for all of us. The fact that God can come into our lives and interact with us, that if we repent, repentance means that we basically turn back to God. We return to God. However de amount of degrees we turned away from him, we turn back to him. And it's something we can do daily. He says, repent. We put our trust in the resurrection of Jesus. We talk about baptism and, and, and that huge step of saying, listen, I, I'm gonna commit to God. I'm gonna meet him in the waters of baptism. And he says that in all of this thing, he, he promises in, in, the, in Acts 2.38, you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God right here. Like, I don't know if he physically is right here. We do that, but he's here. He's with me. He's with you when you accept Christ. When we decide to live for Jesus, the, help, the helper moves in. God's move in to help us is about transformation. And so like, what, what is he doing there? I mean, what's he messing around with? In the book of Galatians chapter five, verse 22, we learn that the fruit of the spirit in our life, the fruit of the spirit is, this is a list we see in that passage, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It says against such things, there is no law. What a list. Maybe you're not so good at some of those things. Maybe love is not your, your thing. Maybe patience you're terrible at or faithfulness or self-control. Well, that's what, that's what God does when he moves in, when his spirit moves in among us, he begins to transform us. He knows that we're not gonna be good at those things. And so guess what he sends? A helper, someone to step in alongside and give us a hand. And the more we seek God's presence in our daily life, the more powerfully we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it in my own self and my own life and I see the amazing transformations that happen in the lives of other people that I know and love. It's fantastic what God does when he moves in. Uh, last week, I got to do one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to do. Uh, I got to baptize my daughter, Savannah into Christ. She's 10 years old and, uh, and she's been talking about it for a while, for a couple of months. We studied the Bible some, we talked about it, we prayed about it. Um, but last week when she decided that she was ready for the helper and for this change in her life, uh, you know, she lived out her own version of the book of Acts chapter two. She heard the message. She knew what God was offering her and she said, what should I do? 
She made the decision, and it was awesome. And let's be honest, this is where it gets real. At 10 years old, she still most likely has the hardest part of her life ahead of her. When God moves in, it's not that life just gets easy. The key is, we don't have to do it alone. As hard as I I wish this, and as much as I love her, as her dad, I can't physically be with her all the time and for everything and forever. But God will never leave her and never forsake her. As her dad, I'm just not strong enough to carry all the burdens, and, and, and I can't carry half of my own burdens sometimes, you know? But God has a strength that equals, that's equaled by none. You know, as her dad, I, I have no power to purify her soul, to wash her sins away. In fact, I don't have the power to do that with my own sins. But God became a man so that he could pave a path to that purity and so that all of us could receive it. You see how the helper works? These are things we can't do on our own, but only in the presence of God, the impossible becomes possible. And so this invitation is for you. It's for your neighbors. It's for your coworkers. It's for your children. It's for your parents and grandparents. It's for the people far off that don't speak the same language that you do or live in the same area that you do. It's the invitation that God wants to come into our life as the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the guide, his spirit alongside ours to let us know that we don't have to do it alone. God's offering to move into your life, his spirit, the helper. Let's pray together.